Welcome, everybody, to What Can You Tell Me, the podcast. Today, I talk to Renee Reagan, a trained chef that now describes herself as a tubular artist. Renee shares stories from her life about playing basketball at five foot three and a half, how the COVID shutdown has led to some exciting new ventures, and she also tells a story about her stepmom meeting a particularly handsome podcasting police officer. Ladies and gentlemen, Renee Reagan. Renee, what can you tell me about being you? Oh my gosh, it's exhausting. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I've got time. <laughs> you want me to start at the beginning? You start where you go. want to, but beginnings are great. Yeah. Okay. Where, okay. Where'd you begin? So I began in uh, Round Lake Beach, which is a, a suburb of Chicago. Okay. Um, almost as far north as Wisconsin. Gotcha. Um, but not quite over the border. Is uh, it actually on a beach? It there is a beach there somewhere. Oh, oh but, but it's it was, not like it was pretty gross. So oh, okay. We never, you know, we never went swimming. Gotcha. You're not area. like a person who absolutely feels you're a beach lover because of no. Round Lake Beach. No. Okay. No. Not at all. For other reasons. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So started there, uh, very close to Great America and Gurney Mills, sure. which is where I spent a lot of my childhood. As we all did. We had the season pass when we were kids to the Great America in Absolutely. California. Oh, yeah. It was pretty exciting. Yeah. That's a fun one. I was there once. I think uh, my mom kind of just used it as like, hey, it's, I think it was $30 for a year yeah. season pass or whatever. Yeah. If you brought in a coupon from a Pepsi can or yes, something. We did that so, too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty sure it was an easy babysitting for, uh, for her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So close to Gurney. Yes. Yes. So we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, being mall rats as kids. So yes. What was your style? My style? Yeah, like when you were a mall rat uh, kid, I mean... You know, I was sort of um, like skater, stoner looking kid, sure. even though as a kid I really wanted to smoke pot, but didn't, it didn't agree with me, so... Uh, but yeah, I kind of had that kind of vibe. Cool. Yeah, All I right. was really into bands. Uh, I have an older brother who's super into music and plays in bands and... Uh, what kind of bands? So he was in Stabbing Westward, which was like an industrial band in the 90s who recently got back together. So it was fun. I got to see him on stage again. Awesome. Uh, industrial kind of Nine Inch Nails for those who exactly. don't necessarily know. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very similar to a Nine Inch Nails. So I did. Yeah. As a kid, I spent, he was sort of my musical inspiration. So I knew all these like really cool bands, you know, like Jawbox and Failure and stuff when I was You're a teenager and I thought coolness, I was so cool. <laughs> I don't know what any of those are. Actually, the first time somebody asked me if I knew who the Red Hot Chili Peppers were, they uh -huh. said, quote, do you like Red Hot Chili Peppers? And I answered yes <laughs> on my pizza. And I was like 12. So that's, that's amazing. That's still probably my level of coolness when it comes to music. I think that's very super cool that you didn't know who they were. Yeah, no, no. And this, you I know. have more respect for you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank <laughs> you. Well, and this was legitimately when they were starting out. So I guess it wasn't yeah, a little a little older than I, than you, I believe. Just slightly. Just slightly. How yeah. dare, what are you calling me old? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. How old are you, by the way? I am 37. Oh. I think about that for a you're second. You're not that much younger than me. I no. mean, five and a half years. Yeah. Maybe six. That's I'm turning not much. 43 in a few weeks. So. Oh, well, happy. I'm going to have a COVID birthday. birthday. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, Yay. it should be super cool. Okay, so uh, so Round Lake Beach, Great America. And then yes. uh, did you do any theater, play any sports? What was high school like? Oh, I was uh, very into basketball. Okay. And I was very bad at it. Well, you're what, all of 5'5", five, 5'6"? Five, five, Am uh, I being you're generous being very or short? very generous. Oh, what are you, 5'4"? I four? am 5'4". 
four and Andrew makes my husband Andrew makes fun of me because I'm technically five three and a half but Amazing. I always say that I'm five four sure yeah because yeah I feel a lot taller but yeah I was super into basketball started playing in I think seventh grade and got really into it all my friends played so I was on a, a traveling team during the summers oh, nice. and I just I played a lot I couldn't I couldn't shoot I was not very skilled but uh, i always got the awards for most heart spirit yeah yeah spirit and heart because i would you know throw myself all over the place to try and like steal the ball love it get things done but uh my dad always laughs because he you know my parents were always at the games and he would always like cringe when I was shooting a free throw. <laughs> if someone fouled me, he'd be like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> uh, amazing. I wasn't very good at sports myself. That's no. not a big surprise. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I, I mean, feel why like would you're it be pretty athletic. I mean, I'm athletic movement wise, but organized sports weren't my thing. I definitely yeah. was the kid picking flowers in the outfield when i was in baseball oh yeah 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 and then i ultimately realized it was a lot easier to be like the goalie or the catcher so yeah um baseball i ended up being the catcher soccer i played goalie for a while and this was in like junior high we're not talking any high level sports yeah um then i played water polo in high school Ooh. for one year and i was also the goalie because i said to the coach on day one maybe after tryouts hey i don't actually like swimming that much <laughs> and she first asked me, why on earth did you join a water polo team then? Right. And I said, well, I guess we're supposed to play a sport. But um, I actually really enjoyed being a goalie. It was fun. Except for the whole having a really hard ball thrown at your face from like six feet away. That was not fun. Yeah. That doesn't um, sound like fun. Yeah. I feel like the position of goalie is a very emotional one. I mean, you just have people, you know, in any sport whipping something at you yeah. for the entire game. And it's just so much focus is on you and whether or not you can stop that thing yeah and you so have those brief so moments of excitement and then the rest yeah. of it is you watching the game happen <laughs> right <laughs> praying it doesn't come your way please, yeah please don't <laughs> um okay so basketball cool and yeah. uh clearly you didn't get a college scholarship for basketball um you know no okay. i got a lot of offers <laughs> <laughs> couple of junior colleges super yeah, interested. yeah so listen okay all right so high school and then yeah. uh what'd you do after high school after high school well i did travel to australia which was a very fun thing that i did for about three weeks that's exciting with other students that was organized trip or just you it and was, some friends it was an organized trip okay uh, I, it was called like a student ambassadorship okay so it was a program, but um, it was amazing. It was a lot of kids from surrounding high schools that I didn't even know, uh, one from my high school, and uh, it was a blast. That's I loved awesome. It there. Yeah. I love traveling so much. Yeah, me too. Big fan. Yeah. A little hard right now, but... A little bit. Yeah. We'll, we'll get back to it at some point. I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping there's a lot more train and boat travel in the future, because who knows what's going to happen to the airline industry. This is the one... I don't even want to call it good thing about what's going on right now, but I feel like yeah. people are getting back in touch with life a hundred years ago, except yeah. for the whole having dinner and drinks with your friends via Zoom, right. which I just did with my family <laughs> last future. night in yeah. California. Uh, other than that, though, you're reading a lot of books. Yeah. You're spending time at home. I'm currently working on a cross-stitch needlepoint project. Very excited Amazing. about that. Amazing. Yes. I can't and wait to see it. Taking care of me animals. And then after your time in Australia, what, where... 
I next? I went to college. Okay. I went to Northwestern University. Up in Evanston? Up in Evanston. I uh, had no idea what I wanted to do, but I started out in psychology and ended up doing uh, sociology and legal studies. And what was, was your fun. goal with that? Well, I was going to go to law school. Uh-huh. And that didn't happen, obviously. Sure. So I I was sitting down to write my essays to law schools to yep. start the application process. And I kind of just was sitting there thinking about what am I passionate about? Why do I want to go to law school? And then sent me into a spiral of <laughs> do I really want to go to law school? Do I want to do something else? And I had gotten into cooking a lot recently, just standard home cook stuff, you know, but I had really taken to it. And I just kind of started exploring what culinary school would be like and decided to go for it. And my rationale was worst case scenario, we at least get a good cook in our household for our lives, uh, which I think is a great thing to have to be yes. able to to cook for yourselves and your family. So uh, that was my worst case scenario. And uh, it was only a 15 month program for me because I already had my bachelor's degree. So I didn't I know it. that was a thing. Yeah, they have uh, an accelerated program at Kendall. So you can. Kendall um, College in Chicago? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or they did. I, that school has changed a lot and I think is under new ownership now, but they had an accelerated program. Uh, so I didn't have to take basic classes or anything like that. And so, what years were you there? 2000. Five or six. Okay. So I got a degree in human nutrition from UIC. I actually am a, was not am, but am a registered dietitian, which is yeah. what I was. But part of that, we took food science classes and yeah. it was one of the most fun things we did there. Yeah. And it was legitimately what you probably had to do a lot of, which is here's mm -hmm. how you're going to make an egg in five different ways. And you're going to yeah. see how it changes the effect uh, on the egg of, of what happens with higher yeah. heat, less heat acids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm certainly not going to explain to you uh, cooking, <laughs> but uh, this is for the the people out there listening. And it was by far one of the most fun classes I had and yeah. very seriously made me go, you know, maybe I should just go to cooking school next. So definitely yeah. something I've thought about as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I learned a lot in a very short amount of time. One, one of my favorite stories from culinary school was uh, we had this Austrian chef who was known for being really, really tough. But he was also, it was kind of a fake tough. He was very funny and sarcastic. He'd always talk about the Austrian Navy, how he had been part of it, which was funny because they're landlocked. <laughs> so he, he was known for being really tough. And so I didn't really know him very well yet. And so we had sort of a preliminary test so he could gauge where we were. This was an advanced class. And so he wanted to see sort of where we were at before we got started. So I, one of the tasks we had to do was make fresh noodles and we hadn't been taught this or anything yet. It was just kind of, here's a recipe, make noodles. And so I have a German grandmother or she's passed on, but uh, at the time she was still around who made noodles all the time, homemade noodles that were really super thick. That was how she always made them. And they were my favorite thing in the whole world. So when I had to make fresh noodles, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just make them like grandma German makes noodles. them, you know? Yeah. So that's what I did. And I served them to him. And he literally spit them out and was like, what are you trying to do? Kill me? Wow. <laughs> I was so horrified. That's awesome. I think I might have cried when I went home that day. But then, yeah, it was. How it was different were his noodles? I mean, substantially? Oh, or? you know, the classic, the thin ones. Okay. Yeah. That's what he was looking for. Okay. Not my... uh 
Not my granny's German noodles, unfortunately. So beyond the uh, noodle tragedy of 2007, approximately, what else was culinary school like? Like what was a typical day at culinary school? I mean, a lot of it, stuff going on there, I imagine. It was a lot of hard work. Classes would generally be really long. You know, you'd have like a, a three or four hour session, essentially. And some classes would focus specifically on sauce, some on your knife work. Some We had a specific fish class, uh, which was one of my favorite classes, a meat class. We did charcuterie, all sorts of fun stuff. We had to do a an aspic decorating project I'm in sorry, the what? Uh, garde manger class. What, aspic. You just said a bunch of words <laughs> that don't mean anything to me. What is aspic? Aspic is like gelatin. Okay. And... Something like 150 years ago, uh, the f- in traditional French cuisine, they would do these big, elaborate displays with aspic of different colors and shapes. And it was some. It was so crazy to me because you didn't eat any of it. It was just like this giant display that you would put together decoration. with food. Yeah, sure. it was just. So and was it shaped into animally type? Like, what did they shape it like? Just like designs and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Of shapes and patterns and i don't remember what mine looked like at all that was one of my least favorite projects that's uh i was like i i'm never going to use this yeah that's something that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun no i did read the devil in the white city recently yes and one of the things that book does is brings up the menus served at a lot of these really fancy state-like dinners yeah and it was insane (laughs) <laughs> what they fed these people and yeah it made me hope that not everybody ate like that back then i suppose it would be I, like if you looked at what a president or a head of state would eat on a daily basis not a daily basis i think when they're having a fancy dinner yeah it's gonna be a little different than dinner at the white house on a random day right absolutely at least i would assume but who knows i've never been to the white house so i don't know same yeah well maybe you'll be cooking there someday who knows maybe i don't know yeah. that i would want to no Although, what if somebody's like, I want Chef Renee, you're my chef. Like, if I become president someday and say, yeah. like, Renee, Andrew, you're going to be. I'll do it for you. Perfect. Absolutely. Okay, that's it. Matt Robin, Matt 2030. Robin. Is that even a time? 2024. No. Yeah, Matt Robin, 2030. That's definitely going to be when I start <laughs> running. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so Excellent. many things. Okay, so aspic, not so fun. Yes, yes. But yeah. What was your favorite thing then? I really liked making consomme. Okay. Because you make a raft of like vegetables that's all held together with egg. Okay. And you have to simmer it really gently and slowly. If you if you try to rush it and simmer too hard, it breaks apart and you have a cloudy consomme. So it was very uh, rewarding to me when you did all this work and you you know, did the recipe right and you paid attention and we're taking it nice and slow. It was just this beautiful, like clear broth at the end. So simple, but so satisfying. Was this pretty, the whole bone broth frenzy? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, you're one of the OGs when it comes to broth. That's right. I'm yes. All right. I yeah. see, I see a future here. Some, <laughs> some consomme, uh, we could like health consomme, COVID consomme. Oh my gosh. COVID that's it. Consomme. What are we going to put in it? Oh man. I don't know. I I just want that whole thing to go away. Uh, Okay, so consommes. And then school, 15 months. Was it a lot of Mm -hmm. lecture or was it mostly hands-on in class or in legit kitchens? Yeah, mostly hands-on. We would have a few lecture classes, but 
yeah, it was mostly hands-on work. Okay. Uh, which I am a big fan of. So sure. it was it was great for me. Yeah. You finished Kendall College and then what happened from there? Well, when I was at Kendall, we were required to do an internship and I was the only weirdo who was interested in doing something outside of working in a restaurant kitchen. So this opportunity popped up that was also based around Mexican food, which is also an area that I was very interested in. That was working in the test kitchen at Frontera. For Rick Bayless. For Mr. The man himself, oh, Mr. Rick Bayless. So amazing. Also a person, fun fact in this world, who really loves circus. He does. I he, got to see that performance, uh, uh, Coscabel. Yes. So yeah. Coscabel, a couple of my friends were in and helped create. And then he, Rick was actually going to do a fundraiser for my circus festival a couple of years ago. Oh, really? And unfortunately, that died a terrible, tragic death. But oh, um, yeah, but he was super on board, which was amazing because yeah. I'm like, Rick Bayless, Mr. Topolabampo, Frontera, <laughs> Shoko, probably nine other restaurants, PBS's most famous Mexican yeah. restaurant, also a uh, not Mexican in the slightest. Yeah. Um, but uh, an amazing, amazing Mexican chef. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, you worked for Rick for how long? I did for almost about seven years. Oh my gosh. So, you did. So, your internship lasted yeah. how long? Well, the internship, I think, was three months. Okay. Maybe. No, yeah, it was three months. And so, I did half of it in the test kitchen with the food company that makes all the jarred salsas and. Oh, sure. That you see at the supermarket. And, yeah. All that kind of fun stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I did half there and then I was required to do at least half of it or log a certain number of hours in a restaurant kitchen too. And so I just did that at Frontier Grill with the prep team. That was, it was amazing. I learned so much. I got to make giant vats of mole. It would, they always laughed at me because I was one of the shortest people in the kitchen (laughs) And they had to stack like two or three milk crates for me to be able to reach in with a whisk to get this giant pot of mole stirring. Yes. I thought it was, it was. Can I tell you my terrifying, so against health code, gross story from my teenage years when I worked in a restaurant? It was a pizza place not to be mentioned uh, by name Mm because I'm sure, well, at this point, it's very well past the statute of limitations. It's got to (laughs) be almost 30 years ago that I worked there. Oh, wow. But uh, I did a lot of the prep work to make pizza sauces and stuff like that. And then chopping vegetables and 50 pound bags of onions. That was the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. I still don't really love me some onions because, I mean, I love onions, but chopping them, no thanks. So we had these giant, probably, I don't know, 25 gallon plastic food grade garbage can sort of a thing yeah that we would store the pizza sauce in and you would you know put in 10 gallon jars or whatever of tomato sauce and all the other stuff and then dump in all of these herbs and spices and stuff well Mm -hmm. there was kind of a lip at the bottom of this garbage can that stuck down like two inches like there's a ring in the middle yeah and then uh the edge is like a two to three inch wide like curve that goes all the way around it and you couldn't really stir down there with anything so I would just reach my arm in <laughs> and just like stir with my arm. And I don't know if I made that up myself to do that or if they just said, yeah, you just, just stick your arm in and like <laughs> stir. So I just, yeah, it's, it oh. frightens me to think of what that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Some extra stuff probably ended mm, up in that sauce. Definitely. Yeah. Extra protein, mostly keratin, right? 
Yeah, something. Hair? I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, I should know that. I'm the <laughs> nutrition guy. So anyways, okay. So you had to stand on top of uh, of, of, of some milk crates. Milk crates and yeah. stir. Uh, it was like a, I felt like a, a witch stirring a cauldron. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. I loved it. I love making sauce. That's one of my favorite things to do. I, and I got to do a lot of that. And the great. loving recipient of much of that sauce when I come into your uh, fine establishment, yeah. which we'll talk about. Absolutely. Okay. So you're you're stirring your mole. And yep. you're working in the kitchen, and yep. now three months has gone by, and you just what? You keep just, showing up, and you're yeah, like, yeah, I just kind uh, of refuse to you leave. Give me a paycheck now. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, so I really took to the the test kitchen work. I really liked it a lot. It was actually it's kind of counterintuitive, but I felt like I could be more creative in that setting because you know when you work in a restaurant, you're you're doing the chef's dishes in and out every single day, kind of redoing the same stuff until you get to be the chef and then you get to make the dishes yourself, obviously. So I was just really drawn to the scientific nature and the creativity allowed in a test kitchen environment. And so I just sort of refused to leave. And eventually they hired me full time. So I had a few more months of school, I think one more quarter or something like that after the internship. So I was part time. And then yeah, eventually they, they brought me on full time and it was an amazing job. I loved it so much. I managed their private label program, so I got to make sauces and things for companies like Williams Sonoma and Crate and Barrel. We would uh, do private label work for them, so you know they would come to me and say, "Hey, we want to feature this new pressure cooker, and we want to do risotto. So can you come up with a sauce that we can sell to our customers that they put in with the rice that?" makes it delicious makes me feel like i'm a chef yeah exactly so uh, i got to work on a lot of projects like that and it was really really fun i loved it now relative to cooking for the instant moment of i'm making a meal that's being served immediately how different is the kind of work that has to be done into putting together a dish that ends up staying shelf stable in a jar or and also kind of how did you learn that i mean is that something rick was able to teach you or was that another course on its own or just reading or research or well i i had a wonderful uh woman that i worked with there named jean marie brownson um she kind of taught me everything we we worked with one major manufacturer who made all of the jarred salsas and stuff for frontera we use them for almost everything all of our sauce work for sure and just between working with her and working with the facility itself that was making them in texas i just i learned all the the ins and outs of where the ph level needed to be to bottle something and we learned as we progressed in the company we explored all sorts of other options that I got to learn about too. Going and visiting uh, food manufacturing facilities is very awesome. <laughs> I, I love it so much. We got to go to a huge meat processing facility that does all sous vide meats. Okay. And so eventually I, at Frontera, started working in their restaurants, their outlets that were in like Macy's and the airport, Tortos Frontera, Frontera Fresco. Can I be honest with you? Yeah. Frontera Express at O'Hare is quite possibly one of the greatest things that exists on the planet. I agree. I agree. It's amazing. uh, What uh, I'm going to massacre the name, but it was the jam and cheese open face bread. The mollete. Oh my goodness. I don't think it's on the menu anymore. It makes me real sad, but it was so good. Yeah. We had a torta too. That was on uh, bolillo bread, like the crusty French Mm -hmm. style bread. That was jam and queso fresco and butter. 
Oh yes, it was the lowest selling item. But I think I think that may have been it. it was, was that it or so, was it? The it might have been. It was an open face. There was an open. Maybe face. Maybe I'm confusing. That, I don't know, but it was so good. Yeah. 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 Still, the I other love thing the is so a much. pork and habanero salsa dish that's on oh, the menu. Oh yeah, that, the cochinita pibil. Yes, that mm-hmm. is I. I like wish I could just go to O'Hare to get that. I'm sure I could yeah. probably find it at Frontera, but uh, it's yeah, Shoko so good. Makes it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It, it is delicious. If that was uh, any part of your your creation, thank you. Well, I didn't create it, but I did get to manage those culinary programs at all of those locations. Into that because I was talking about the meat processing facility I yeah. went to. So um, that those places do so much volume that they can't possibly make it make everything in house i mean most of the stuff is but like proteins and stuff like that is hard to do so we visited a facility in mundelein that uh that's all they do is like sous vide meat and, and for the for the listener who doesn't know what sous vide is explain briefly sous vide is basically like cooking in the protein goes in a bag and then you cook it in like a water bath essentially so it's like this really even and moist cooking environment it's it's great and that was one of the coolest facilities i've ever been to that's awesome i did get to go to a meat packing place and not totally different obviously but it was amazing to see a guy Mm -hmm. who his entire job is sitting there with a bandsaw and some insane cut of meat that he precisely you know makes these cuts through 10,000 times a day whatever the number actually is i'm not sure and then it goes on to a scale that optically i believe or somehow weighs each piece and so this guy's able to cut it within kind of 9 10 11 12 ounces roughly speaking just by yeah. eye but then the scale or the uh the conveyor belt knows how much each of these pieces weighs and then spits it down a chute so all the nine ounce cuts go in one all the 10 ounce cuts go, that it was so incredible That's also amazing. how nobody lost a finger there beyond me i know i know which I've... i know reading the jungle back in the day they probably <laughs> have in the past but uh, yeah. hopefully we don't hear about that so yeah no no i think it's gotten a lot safer Thankfully. Yeah. So we were, I was at Frontera still. Um, I changed jobs sort of within the company to work on the, the restaurant side of things. And then eventually I, I just became super interested in, you know, all of the work that Rick and all the chefs there were doing with local farms and was very inspired by that and wanted to dive in deeper into that world. So I went to work for Local Foods, which is a wholesale distributor of food, but they specifically work with local producers. So most wholesale food distributors are, they're, you know, buying asparagus from wherever it's cheapest all year round. It doesn't matter. Come from Peru on a shipping. Exactly. Yeah. Container boat. And here you go. Yeah, exactly. And so they specifically work with uh, people in the Midwest. Okay. So, so they're like a Chicago or Midwest based company. Exactly. Yeah. They, they are pretty young. They're at this point, probably eight to 10 years old, maybe um, probably closer to like eight. Do they do much? I know Rick has the, the whole hydroponic setup at O'Hare. Is that something they also mm-hmm. get into or is that just ancillary to like that has nothing to do with necessarily and i know you're talking about two separate things now rick versus 
local foods, but do they deal with that a lot or is there a lot of... Yeah, they, they work with a lot of uh, hydroponic farms. Um, it's funny, actually, one of the major ones they work with and also shares sort of like a similar ownership structure, so they work hand in hand, um, is Mighty Vine Tomatoes, Okay, which are absolutely amazing um, i just ate one last night oh, however did you find one oh, maybe oh, you can tell us about that oh. later okay yeah. <laughs> um so it's a it's a massive greenhouse in rochelle illinois that grows um tomatoes year-round and they do a lot of sustainable practices it uses something like 90% less water than field tomatoes, which is pretty incredible. Sure, because you're dealing with so much evaporation and yeah. you can control the humidity, just, temperature, exactly. everything. Yeah, yeah, like everything, just the nutrients, the water just gets sort of injected like straight to the, to the plant to where yeah. it needs to go. Yeah, you're not like waiting for rain to collect and they only use well and especially it. with if you don't grow tomatoes tomatoes i've been doing now for six seven years yeah. it is so hard to get yeah. beautiful consistent tomatoes because yeah. if it's too dry or too much water so for example too much water it'll absorb all this water yeah. and then when it dries out it gets that weird brown line to where it kind of splits or mm -hmm. and it's just man i've done a little bit of hydroponic growing all vegetables for the record i don't <laughs> want anybody to think it's something funky uh, the devil's lettuce is not grown in my house. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I had, I don't know, eight foot, 10 foot tall tomato plants that were growing up a, a rope sort of a thing. Wow. And this was one of my first batches and hadn't kind of read the entire manual on hydroponic tomato planting. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have a breeze going or you don't shake those vines or self-pollinate, this is the whole point yeah. I'm getting to, is right. they don't pollinate. You need bugs to pollinate. Yep. That's why bees are wonderful, right? Absolutely. Um, but if you do it hydroponically, you have to make sure they can self-pollinate or pollinate. So yeah. one of the things I did didn't do was exactly that so you can either take a toothbrush or a paintbrush and kind of literally paint into each flower which china does with their apple orchards now and a lot of their fruit orchards literally thousands wow. and thousands of acres are hand pollinated and there's yeah. a person on a ladder it looks like a little jar of bubble uh like a bubble wand sort of a jar yeah. the tiny kids ones yeah and they just sit there and they're given this thing of of pollen and they climb on a ladder and pollinate every single flower and they get a 100 percent pollination rate That's whereas amazing. bees might not do anywhere near that so right. yeah it's it's a, a definite thing where it, there's an art to hydroponic growing it's not just throw a seed in and, and good luck right exactly yeah it's it's very impressive especially when you see a facility like theirs that is i mean it's like i think two or three football fields in size. I just like drove that. past. Have you been past or seen Gotham? Uh, Gotham Greens. Yeah, I just yeah. drove past it the other day. Yeah, that place is great too. I'm super excited. I want to go in there. I'm going to miss. Excuse me, can I? <laughs> Ooh, maybe I should do a podcast on Gotham Greens. You should. Yeah. Hey guys, want to open your doors? I might know somebody. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so yeah, those and those tomatoes for the record as, as you, the reason you probably chose them, they're so, yeah. the color is beautiful. They yes. are so juicy. I mean, I don't know what people think of when they think of hydroponic, but it may not be the most exciting thing in the world in them, but you can, like you said, perfectly yeah. control what's going into that. Plant. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and to kind of tie my, uh, my two uh, working worlds together there, I actually sold these tomatoes to Rick Bayless. Uh, when they started harvesting them, I, I knew he would appreciate a tomato year round that was also absolutely delicious. And when I first brought him to him, he's like, Renee, you know how I feel about hydroponic 
vegetables and fruits. I'm, I'm not really into them. So they usually are less flavorful. They just don't, you know, there's something about the earth, obviously, that, that gives a lot of character to, to fruits Mineral and vegetables that you just and, lose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he loved them. Great. And, and bought them from me. So that was, a, that was a really fun win for me. <laughs> Making money. You're like, hey, NBD just got Rick Bayless to the you know, <laughs> yeah, company account. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. Ever heard of that guy? Cool. <laughs> um, okay. And so you were there for how many years with, with Local Foods? I was uh, with Local Foods for about two years. Okay. I was in a sales role, which was weird for me. I was a little too emotional emotional to be in that role because I, I felt for all my chefs. And so I would never give any like order cutoff times and if they needed me to drive something to like Evanston or any the south side of Chicago I would I would do anything they needed because I knew what position they were in and so I just spent a lot of time just driving around the city and the near suburbs and um decided yeah just to wasn't what I wanted to spend my time doing. Okay. So I'm still very close with everyone at that company. I love it. I use them at our, our current restaurant, which I know we'll get to later. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're doing really great and stuff. And like what sort of places are they at? People use them for, there's people who use them just for some higher end local products. Because what's great about them is, you know, a lot of places that work with small local farms, they buy from them directly. Yeah. Uh, which is also great, but it is also very difficult to manage all those invoices and relationships and all that fun stuff. So this is an opportunity where you can sort of get everything from one place. And there's a lot of people who take advantage of, of that and will buy all the things that they need from one place and be able to tell their customers that they're supporting local farms at the same time. That's great. Yeah. We um, really try and go to as many places as we can yeah, to do that. So. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's a good chance that if, if you're going to a restaurant that, is working with local farms. Some of their stuff probably comes from local foods. Yeah, then after that, I had kind of started doing some side work with like a culinary marketing company um, called Olson Marketing. Or I'm sorry, Olson Communications. And uh, they are fantastic. And I was getting a lot of work through them. And I had some other random projects on the side too. Just kind of decided to focus on that work for a little while. And then all of a sudden, this crazy opportunity for my husband and I to open our own bar slash restaurant came up and we knew it was an insane thing to do. We both come from a sort of costing background of like just being behind the scenes and really understanding the business itself. So we kind of knew it was crazy going in, but we just didn't see this kind of opportunity to ever uh, present itself again. So we kind of just jumped in and... And that led us to where we are right now. Exactly. Quite physically and literally right now. So tell us about where we're at at the present moment. So we are at Kite String Cantina, which is our very fun little spot. So we're at Addison and Wolcott. And we do, in a nutshell, taquitos and tequila. And also a lot of mezcal because yes. we're big fans of mezcal. Okay. And so Kite String, for those who aren't aware, is Chicago, Illinois. This is where we're at. We're in the North Center slash Roscoe Village neighborhood. Yes. If you are in Chicago, it's right next to the Brown Line Addison, probably about 100 yards west of there on the south side of the street. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a tiny little brick with a beautiful bar surface uh, building, a fun mm-hmm. kind of setup. And I started coming here, I think, 
almost instantly when you guys opened up, yeah. I had been coming to the previous restaurants that had been here mm-hmm. and uh, was super excited to see something new coming in because we loved everything that had been here. They just couldn't really make it work, I think, because it's a small neighborhood space that had yeah. seven employees in a maybe 30 to 50 person restaurant. And yeah. it just, I don't, it, it never really worked. And I think what's brilliant about what you guys have done is you've taken a place that can essentially be run by one person. You'll come here on a Friday night mm-hmm. and there may be a guy at the door, but there could yeah. be one single bartender who is simultaneously pouring drinks, mm-hmm. uh, holding shop with all the customers and uh, dropping taquitos into the fryer so that everybody yep. can enjoy their taquitos. So why don't you maybe tell everyone, what can you tell me about <laughs> this fun experience and how it uh, kind of became? Yeah, so uh, we knew we're in the same group with Bangers and Lace, which was the restaurant that was here immediately before us. And so we kind of had the benefit of hindsight and sort of got to look at their numbers and talk to them about the experience. And it kind of seemed like this spot with how small it is, the capacity is 46. It needed to either be a sort of very low overhead sort of very neighborhoody casual place and obviously that's the one we opted to go for or it needed to be some very very high-end restaurant with uh you know really expensive tasting menus and stuff like that i feel that would probably work here too but that's just not the kind of the chef that i am i definitely focus on the the casual and easy to execute so we opted for that route and kind of our our inspiration was sort of a neighborhood pub where you would go get a beer and a shot and order a frozen pizza and we were like how do we make that us and something that's you know obviously different than that and so with my background in mexican food and andrew's just innate love for tequila we started putting ideas together and this is this is where we ended up. So we make homemade taquitos. I make every single tortilla. I was going to say when you say we, you mean you. <laughs> I yes, yeah. of course. <laughs> I make every single tortilla from scratch. I have one prep cook that works two days a week, or or did <laughs> currently is not sure. And we can just the bartenders are trained to fry them to order. And we're able to keep our overhead really super low. And at the same time, people seem to really like the taquitos too. It's a fun thing and we get to be really creative. And yeah, we've we've also dubbed it tube food. I'm going to put tubular artist on my business card when I need to get them reprinted. I'm very excited about that. Typically, you guys just do taquitos and things like that on the menu. You have like a very small menu, but two nights, yeah. uh, two days a week, you do what? Yes, uh, Wednesday nights, we have a rib dinner. So delicious. Which is half a slab of Beeler's Farm ribs, pork spare ribs. And uh, the sauce currently is a pasilla agave sauce. And then we do chips and guacamole or seagull puck for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm weirdly allergic <laughs> to guacamole. Nobody <laughs> believes me. It's true. And then we do uh, some sort of side dish. Often it's coleslaw because yes. uh, it just goes perfectly. Yes. And then uh, you get a little cookie. Yeah. And what about Sundays? <laughs> and Sundays we just started so uh, is chilaquiles. Oh, my god. And uh, mole amarillo, which is one of the seven Oaxacan moles. And it's delicious. It's so good. It's that's so fun. I love doing that. And we pour the sauce table side, which is my favorite part about it because it 
keeps the integrity of the chip, which is important to me in chilaquiles. Yep. Lots of times it's just super soggy chip mess. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're really excited about that and can't wait to get back to that. You guys got to try it. It's so good. It's unreal. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's been really great. The neighborhood is fantastic. We've got to, gotten to meet and become good friends with people like yourself. Oh. And it's all those people who you know are are keeping us afloat and sane right now, which is amazing. So uh, yeah, what are you what are you guys having to do? I mean, you had to shut down. I was actually in here the day we knew that things were going to yeah. get kind of. It went from being cut your capacity in half, which for you guys would have meant twenty three people. So exactly. weeknights, that's not a terrible thing. Weekend probably mm-hmm. hurts a little, and yep. then five hours later, all restaurants and bars are shutting down for two weeks, and that's now becoming three. Or going on to now three, right? Yeah, we don't even have an end in sight, technically. I mean, they they said the 30th um, for no dining in and all bar, no bars could be doing anything besides selling packaged booze, essentially. Yeah. But they've now extended school closings, I think, until April 21st, I want to okay. say. Well, so, I know the I mean, current I'm a, shelter in place, whatever they're calling it, stay yeah. at home is through April 7th. And I yes. would have to imagine it's gonna that's extend, also going to get extended. I, yeah. They're saying we're going to be in this, the next city that kind of gets hit hard. Chicago is, yeah. is expected to peak in April. So I can't yeah. imagine they're going to relax their standards now for yeah, go I, home, stay yeah. home. I, I don't think that we're going to be seeing the end of this anytime soon no so. and especially based on how the saint patrick's day the day before actually that whole announcement yes. happened was uh i was working in wrigleyville taking Lucky care of you. oh it was so exciting so working in wrigleyville being uh the police officer uh form of matt robin and <laughs> there had to be five to seven thousand people in yeah 10 to 14 bars and yeah they were trying to explain that you know, this is a big, important day for money, and I fully respect and appreciate that. But when you're talking about five thousand people who could potentially be, yeah, passing back and forth just, germs, absolutely, it just didn't seem like a great thing. And that was actually one of the things the governor specifically pointed to. Yeah, said he was just disgusted by it. Yeah, and it kind of made it to where it didn't just stop with a "we're cutting your capacity in half." It turned into "we're just shutting we're you just down shutting for down. two to three weeks." Yeah, yeah, yeah. which you know. For us, that was the best thing they could have done because we were in such a weird limbo sort of at that time because they were telling people not to go out, but that's our business. That's what we do. We want people to go out, but at the same time, we we didn't want any, (laughs) we didn't want people to come in because we wanted everyone to be safe and healthy. So it was a very weird time to navigate for like a week or so before they they could just kind of shut everything down so it was very surreal to have to do all that but we you know rallied around our team and we had them all here i cooked ribs for everybody uh let them take a bunch of food home and um kind of got to see everybody for probably the the last time in a while or so we thought we've been coaching the team on unemployment and all that kind of fun stuff. And what's amazing is that uh, we've been able to bring two people back in to work this last week to do our our new project, which is the uh, Kite Food Club. Yes, it is. You are a fantastic uh, 
member of? Uh, it is delightful. It also has the most epic artwork on their Instagram page. That would be thanks to our good friend Kyle Bach. Okay, Kyle's a genius because it's Andrew and Renee in the Fight Club poster. Andrew perfectly walked by in the background and waved as I said that. Uh, it uh, you'll see that on Instagram. We'll include links to all the uh, all the. Yeah. The appropriate artwork and whatnot. But yeah, so tell us about Kite Food Club because I could butcher my way through it, but I'm going <laughs> to let you beautifully describe it. I will do my best. Excellent. Uh, so we were trying to be a little more creative besides uh, doing something a little more meaningful and substantial than um, just sort of our slinging our, our normal food, essentially. Not that people don't love fried taquitos at this time, but just something a little bit bigger. And uh, so we came up with the idea of, it's sort of a combination of a CSA box and a meal kit box um, where you get just sort of a, a hodgepodge of ingredients to use. Some might be fresh, some might be processed by me. For example, we did pickled red onions in this last one. It's so my favorite thing to keep in the fridge, put it on and in everything. And, you know, we did some sauces and we've got a protein that's already in a sauce for you that you just need to throw in the oven. And we're encouraging everyone to sort of treat it as like an Iron Chef sort of situation. So everyone should be posting pictures about all the creative things that they're, they're making with all of these ingredients. And uh, also want to throw in there, too, that the produce that we're getting for this, we're specifically working with my friends at Local Foods to source from local farms because I think they're really going to be the next group of people that we hear about that are, are having a really hard time because... Obviously, farmers markets aren't going to be opening anytime soon. Oh yeah, I didn't even soon. think about that. That's... Uh, I have a friend who works for the Green City Market, and they're trying to put together a program to drive the CSA boxes around to people. And it's just, uh, it's going to be tough, I think, on them to to sell the the product that they've already obviously planted. Yeah. So that they were anticipating because you don't just exactly. plant stuff and two weeks later it's ready. This right. is months of they've growth. They've been working on it for months. Exactly. Yeah. So we we're trying to do our part to to help keep moving product within like the the local ecosystem here. So we feel that this is um hopefully going to help a little bit at least. Well, and this so. is one of the interesting things about what's currently happening is the people whose jobs have been affected have been getting really inventive yeah. like you guys with ways to make money. The friends I have who are all artists, I've seen a ton of Facebook Live as everyone else has yeah. doing concerts and things like that. A friend of mine who's in Puerto Vallarta did an amazing concert last night for an hour and she just throws out her Venmo payment. Can you please throw yeah. a tip my way? And I absolutely did. And you guys even did a GoFundMe in the beginning, which I looked yes. at like, how much am I going to spend on a week when I go into Kite String yeah. uh, or anywhere, really? And then I just said, you know what? This is going on for two weeks. I'm going to send them this much money. And to me, it was just so worth it because I'm yeah. fortunate enough to have a job that isn't going away anytime soon. Right. And if anything, it's just going to get busier. Yeah. Uh, and as, as well as my wife. I mean, we very much are both battling firsthand. I don't want to use battle, but, you know, really, no, you're, we're dealing it's, with it. And yeah. every time I walk into a grocery store, if I'm in uniform, somebody says, oh, thank you so much for your service. I try and tell them as quickly as I can, look, folks, as long as you guys are doing your job yeah. and as long as you're here selling groceries and Home Depot's open and people can get gas yeah. and banks are staying open, I don't really have a tough job to do. Yeah. It's when all of that stops that the world freaks out and understandably. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't even know what I, I do when that happens right. because 
hey, I'm still just a human and I'm still just a person who has a lot of friends and a lot of family who are in these exact same situations and scared yeah. and confused and don't know what's going to happen from one minute to the next to the next. Yeah. It's uh, so I'm, I'm glad to see you guys have figured out something that's hopefully going to at least pay some of the bills and kind of yeah. keep things running. Yeah. We're uh, that's what we're hoping for too. And the, the first week was a huge success. Uh, we were hoping to sell maybe five or six boxes. We okay. thought that that would be, a really great number to hit. Yeah, I walked in and there had to be 25, 30 <laughs> 32 boxes. 32 boxes yeah. sitting on the counter. Yeah, I I was working nonstop for like three days to to fulfill everything that we needed to put in the boxes. So it was uh, overwhelming, but in a, the most positive way. That's it was so just, exciting. It was so incredible. All the, every, like everyone that's a, a great customer of ours that we know well, um, and also just some people we maybe don't even know that well. Who yeah. Are so if somebody to wants to get it, yeah. If somebody wants to get it now, uh, I mean, we're yeah. this is this podcast is going to drop the probably four days after your first delivery came out. So yeah. if somebody wants to do it, when would they be able to? How do they get that? Um, they literally just email me at okay. info at kitestreamcantina.com. Okay. Um, it's $60 a week. Okay. Um, and you just Venmo the money. I'll send all that info, uh, once you reach out via email. Okay. Um, it's, it's pretty easy and we have pickups on Friday. We're talking about adding delivery, um, okay. which would allow us to bring in another one of our bartenders mm-hmm. possibly to, to deliver. So we're working that out right now. I'm not sure if it'll happen next week, but we're, we're hoping to add that too. So we're offering pickup on, on Fridays yeah. for the boxes and also firing up the fryer and, uh, cooking up taquitos. taquitos. And if you guys, booze. seriously, if you haven't tried one of Kite Strings taquitos or Renee's, I'm not even going to say Kite Strings because they're all <laughs> Renee's. Andrew, that pretty husband of yours has nothing yes. to do with actually <laughs> making taquitos other no. than maybe the occasional dropping one in a fryer. But, uh, yes. these taquitos are incredible and they are like, I had a venison. Tell me about the venison taquito. A venison, a venison taquito. Yeah. Where, where, what is this? Don't think of, for, for the folks who are thinking 7-Eleven right now. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a 7-Eleven taquito. This is high art in culinary form. In tube um, form. In, in tube form. Yeah. Uh, and it's yours for anywhere from $2.50 to what? $4 is the most expensive fancy I think fancy the top taquito. shelf ones are five. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that was like venison and duck. Yeah, we've duck done, taquito? we did spicy duck, yeah. uh, which was amazing. And uh, the, like a hoisin sauce or whatever, you know, not even hoisin. Oh, but the, what was uh, the, it was short rib and kimchi. Was, uh. That I mean, was come on. a and lot of people's favorites, I think. The Reuben, uh, you did corned beef and cabbage, uh, yeah. Chicago hot. I mean, these are not just like roller food. I mean, they are just roller food, but they are <laughs> roller food on an epic level. On steroids, yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> unreal. Uh, so you have to try these taquitos. And the best thing is, is there's no... Now, right now, obviously, we're talking and it's kind of confusing on how to order things because it's like, all right, you can do this for mm-hmm. the Friday pickup. But in general, you walk into the bar and... It's not like most bars where you walk in and you're like, I just want something like a light snack to tide me over for one beer. And now I'm stuck ordering $12 nachos, which, (laughs) hey, great, but I didn't need $12 nachos. You can legitimately order one taquito. That's it. The whole menu. Is that still a thing? Yeah, uh, $20 for one of everything on the menu. And it's like four taquitos, three dipping sauces, handmade tortilla chips, a dessert thing. And like Mm -hmm. all the food is so good. I stop in. Like there are days where I'm here two, three days a week. And if I don't come by (laughs) that often, everyone's like, what? 
what's going on, man? Yeah, what, where are what, you? Why didn't you stop by? You okay? <laughs> um, it's just, it's so good. And then the the bubbler drinks, I'm going to have Andrew on another time, but yeah. the, the, the house-made bubbler drinks, like the cocktails are equally as incredible as all your food. So They're amazing. Are you guys going to do any to-go bubblers or is that... Uh, because well, you did not. the spicy margarita mix, and that was so good. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Oh, wait, you can't do like... We're not allowed to Aww. mix stuff and sell it. Um, I think if we had temper, tamper evident, um, or... I'm yeah, sure. Not using that, the right I words, get, yeah. but you know what I'm talking tamper about. Tamper seals or... Tamper, you know, yeah. We, well, I know like with growlers, they do heat shrink around it to show yeah. that it's closed and hasn't been drunk as it's there. Is yeah. That, um, I think still the word on alcohol is no mixed drinks, okay. but I have signed a petition or two. Um, I will to, totally sign that petition. To legalize that right now. If we find that, we're going to include that in show notes and people need to sign that because it's totally worth it. Yeah. Because yeah, these bubbler cocktails are amazing. And we ended up with our uh, our Kite Food Club box ordered the spicy red margarita mix. Awesome. Which is, uh, you can order a bottle of liquor from them or you can use your own. And then you get 32 ounces of this amazing, (laughs) delicious flavored uh, margarita mix. And I was just drinking that with Club Soda yesterday, actually, after I had a cocktail or two. So it's so good. Yeah. That was actually the first collaboration of Andrew and I um, on a on a a beverage how did how did you kids meet by the way oh we met teaching basketball to little kids what yeah so i didn't know he was an athlete uh he's not uh, i was gonna no, i mean no i mean he to might andrew he i, might he, I don't look that, at him but. and say like he doesn't <laughs> strike me as like the basketball dude but that's cool well he grew up in wilmette okay. and so this was when i was at northwestern he really loves to tell the story about how he was a senior in high school and mm-hmm. i was a sophomore in college when we met oh, and started gangsta, dating older so, woman yeah even though we are only a year and a half apart in a age. may december romance yes here's to you mrs robinson <laughs> so yeah uh, as part of my work study at Northwestern, I worked at the Park District in Evanston, and Andrew had worked there since, I mean, even before he was legally old enough to work, I think. Uh, he had been there since he was like 12. Uh, so we were teaching basketball classes to like three to seven year olds uh, a couple times a week. And, With the hoops uh, that I can dunk on that are eight feet high? Oh, there was one that we used to attach to the wall for the three-year-olds yeah. that was like five feet high maybe yeah. yeah yeah it was the cutest thing yeah, I've i ever have seen. at six two i have zero ability to jump i think i can like <laughs> maybe hit the bottom of the backboard <laughs> just yeah no, no hops yeah no yeah hops. i tried really hard for a long time to touch the bottom of the net that was like my goal when yeah, I that's was like playing. three feet above your head though no i, mean, come I on. never even came close yeah, no, it's... even if it was like ripped and some of it was hanging down i'm gonna buy you guys there. one of those nerf ones and just hang it on the back of the door and then when yeah. you like go through the kitchen the swinging doors which they do have the fun country western swinging doors to go into saloon the kitchen doors. saloon oh there you go yeah. it, it's got a term saloon <laughs> doors um and uh yeah <laughs> okay so so you and andrew so you met that way and then uh and then the restaurant became a thing two years ago yeah yeah okay so we've been together for uh well this october will be our 10-year anniversary but we were together for almost eight years before we got oh, married wow that's so. very similar to emily and i i w- we just celebrated our 11 year anniversary and we were together oh. for seven before that so. congratulations thanks oh my goodness 10 years so what are you guys gonna do for yep. the 10 year 
You're like, just run the restaurant? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were hoping to go somewhere. Um, <laughs> Suckers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shame on us for thinking that. Um, well, at least we got to get in a trip to Mexico uh, early Ooh, this year. Tell me about that. Mexico. Tell them about Mexico because I know a little bit, but oh, this was an man. amazing trip. We went to Oaxaca for about a week and it was one of the most incredible places I've ever been to. Um, specifically, we got to go visit one of the Mescaleros uh, for Bonas, and we got to go see him chop down um, some agave and we got to see um, the whole process. Uh, they still use the um, horse pulled tahona or tahone. I'm probably butchering all of these words. That's, I don't um, know the but that's how they um, mash the agave hearts after they've. Oh, been this is the. I, I saw one of these years ago when I was in Honduras. If it's the same thing I'm thinking it's of. It's like a big wheel. Yes. Yeah. And they attach it to like the axle or one of yes. the, the spokes. Yes. And it just drives around like a grinder thing. Exactly. Yes. They yeah. were doing that with sugar cane when I was in Honduras as a oh, teenager. Yeah. And it was going on for like three days straight. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty incredible and process. And what is, for, for the, the unaware, what is the difference between mezcal and tequila? Technically, tequila is a mezcal, but kind of just sort of um, the general gist is that mezcal is smokier than tequila even so though it's like the difference between really scotch. really oversimplifying no, but it but it's like the difference between scotch and whiskey like scotch is a pd smoky flavor and mezcal yeah. is a smoky flavor not pd per se but and also tequila is very specific uh it's from jalisco and it is specifically made with blue weber agave okay that's the requirements to be tequila okay um what makes mezcal so fascinating to me is that it can be any agave okay. that goes through this process and be grown and uh, produced anywhere. I, I think they are changing the some of the rules regarding labeling of mezcal. There's like there's some agave distillates you'll still see out there that can't legally claim it as um, mezcal, but I think the umbrella is widening for that. Someday we're going to be growing agave in in Chicago, and we're going to make our I own hope little so. mezcal. I don't yes. think that's possible, but if you greenhouses, figure it out, come on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's yeah. totally do that. Uh, okay. Wow. That That's exciting. So then you, you spent the week in Mexico and you went to we did. The, um, the Mezcal yeah. fields. I wouldn't even say factory because it's like legit fields where they grow it. Yeah. The fields where they grow it and their production quote unquote facility was just in this outdoor production operation essentially where, I mean, this family kind of just runs it. And uh, it's very, very rustic. And we got to taste the uh, mezcal right from the still, uh, what they were they were working on. Tepestate? No, it wasn't Tepestate. I can't remember what kind they were working on at the time, the agave varietal. But it was incredible. It was amazing. And he has a technique of determining how much alcohol is in it just by watching the bubbles and how big they are. And oh, how I thought you were going to say by dissipate. tasting it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure he can tell a lot by just tasting it yeah. too but no it was uh you you look at the bubbles like the bigger the bubbles and the faster they dissipate the more alcohol content is in interesting the booze, which i thought was very fascinating love um, it andrew can tell you a lot more about uh the details of mezcal cool i'm i mostly just like drinking it a lot fair i i do too big yeah. fan yeah big fan yeah and that's i'll say 
I tried it before you guys, but I really, you guys have such good varieties of it that I just come here now and ask you to guide my, guide my palate. And we're happy um, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> while we watch like 1970s game shows <laughs> run by on the thing. Exactly. Um, that's so exciting. Okay. Yeah. You right. have a fun relational story to me relative to your police work my policey work can you tell that because it was the funniest thing to realize what happened and when it happened yes absolutely so um my dad and stepmom uh marcy live probably a mile mile and a half east of here in wrigleyville uh right by wrigley field um which is your zone obviously and i had gotten a call from marcy that their garage was broken into and so I was talking to her on the phone about the whole situation. And I think something was stolen, right? Like a, an iPad or something. There was like an that. iPad. Or, uh, or not some, her. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I that's can, right. And I'll was... tell my half of it, which is really funny. <laughs> so she, but what I fixated on was she was re, uh, telling me about her experience at the police station where she went to report this. And she was like, Renee, you know, there was just the most handsome, sweetest cop that helped us. He was so Spoiler nice. <laughs> and I, I, I was telling Andrew about this, and I was like, I, I can't think of another cop that could be described in that manner other than Mr. Matt Robin. Uh, and so we, we had no idea if it was him, but we were just laughing about it. Like, it, like it, if it was possible for it to be you, it was funny. And then you came in that night shortly after we had had this conversation and started talking about how you had met Marcy and helped her when uh, their garage got broken into. And it was hilarious that that whole crazy thing yeah. happened. No, we get a call that there's some kids who've just tried to break into some girl's apartment. Like her call to 911 says... Mm -hmm help somebody broke my front window there's three people on my porch and we go flying over there on our bicycles because mm -hmm. bicycle police mm -hmm. we arrive and uh a foot pursuit in, ensues and two of the kids get caught one of them gets away unfortunately Gah. but <sighs> uh there's all this fun stuff in their possession that doesn't seem like the stuff necessarily that a 13 year old child should have in their possession yeah. one of them being a triple a card and the AAA card comes back to a gentleman who, uh, you know, we can mention his name, uh, Gary, last name, uh, very particular spelling. And um, and so I'm like, okay, well, probably not this kid's AAA card. And then yeah. there's a couple of other things, an iPad, which is dead. And we're like, hey, whose iPad? Oh, it's mine. Whose cards? Oh, mine. Oh, I found him on the street. Then it becomes that. Okay, what about the iPad? Yeah, it's mine. So it's, it's not getting any battery power. So we yeah. managed to plug this iPad in. And uh, the photo comes on of this tiny little girl who looks absolutely nothing like this kid. Uh -huh. And now he's like, oh, no, I found that too. So, okay, clearly not your iPad. So <laughs> we, uh, we take this stuff. Well, I look at the AAA card and I start doing some Googling and I find a guy. And there's a picture of this guy with a little girl who looks exactly like the kid on the iPad. And I'm like, on his Facebook page. And I'm like, perfect. Gary, same last name. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, problem solved. And then I do a little more Googling and find out he lives a block away from the police station. I'm like, oh, this makes perfect sense. So we ride over there and sure enough, find a garage and the door has been kicked in. Oh my gosh, I'm a detective. This is amazing. <laughs> so it's now three o'clock in the morning and I believe it's Halloween night actually. So 
That's we're right. like ringing doorbells, and they're probably like, "Who's messing with us? We're not answering this door." Yeah. Well, then I we leave a note saying, "Hey, police, this is what happened. You know, come pick up your property." Um, and this nice lady, Marcy, shows up the next day with her daughter, and as I'm chatting with her, um, she says, "Oh, you know, thank you so much." I said, "You know, here's your iPad," and she said, "iPad? That's not our iPad." And what? <laughs> so it turns out the iPad isn't this person's, and it turns out the guy whose name it was wasn't the same Gary. It was a totally other random Gary yeah. who had the same last name, who happened to be a professor. And when I emailed him and said, "Hey, I've got your iPad," he said, "I don't have an iPad that's missing," and I was like, "What?" And uh, I said, what about this picture of this little girl that you're holding with a rabbit? And he says, I teach agriculture or whatever. This was at like a state fair. That's just a random kid. So totally wrong on that one, but the right name because of the AAA card. Anyhow. Oh my um, gosh. And she says, oh yeah, my daughter and I are just about to go get uh, lunch at my daughter's restaurant. And I say, oh, that's fun. Have a nice day. And then I come in later that night and start recounting the same story to you. And that's where we realize, oh my gosh, same person so good times the old marcy anyway oh man that's that well thank you for helping my stepmother out oh happy to (laughs) thanks renee thank you i had so much fun talking to you as did i and i look forward to many more delicious taquitos and many more kite food club boxes so well actually i look forward to that going away so i can just be eating in your restaurant regularly Absolutely. But, uh, who knows? Maybe um, that's a thing you guys continue. Uh, we might actually. I would be like opposed it. to eating that deliciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What was your favorite food as a child? Uh, the funny thing about me is that I was an extremely picky eater. Okay. Which played a role in me becoming a chef because when Andrew and I got together, it drove him insane that I was like a grilled cheese person. And that's like all I wanted to eat. So definitely... Would have been grilled cheese. Cool. And what what um, would, what type of cheese are we talking? Like oh, two like slices of white American. bread, crack. Oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. To this day, still probably one of the greatest grilled cheeses. It right? really is. One of my fondest memories of childhood was uh, my my dad would always uh, make grilled cheese, but he couldn't do it without burning it. And uh, <laughs> I just remember like so much. Yeah, just to, like, scrape it scrape off. The black just scrape up. it yep, off. Sure. Okay, it's fine. Just Who scrape didn't it off. Do that. <laughs> All right. And then I, I think I know uh, maybe your answer to this uh, based on what we've been talking about, but what would your favorite beverage be? It would be mezcal. I, I was guessing that. All yeah. right. And straight or mixed? I mean, what's... I really like... I just like drinking it neat. Yeah. The culture around that in Oaxaca was was so great. Um, Just the experience. You just... You get the little cup. The name is escaping me now, uh, but it's, it's like a votive candle holder. Okay. And they just give it to you neat, probably like close to three ounces in a glass and a glass of water for sipping for sipping okay not just it. like a shot right yeah. right you're meant to, it's meant to be sipped excellent absolutely and ice no ice i mean what no would the ice. traditional way no i mean yep. it makes sense probably not a whole lot of ice sitting around in the field yeah. over there but yeah here we add an orange a little pretty orange slice on the glass which we learned in oaxaca was a very american thing uh or tourist oh. thing to to do the orange and the salts Gringos. and all that stuff i know yeah but it's pretty. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Yeah. Okay. One of my favorites, unrelated to food, uh, something I I know you guys have considered for the bar, karaoke. Oh. Yeah. And we also know uh, the premier karaoke yes, host. Yes, we do. Miss Mary, Mary Mack, Mack, who I knew from like 
15 years ago at the Blue Frog when she used to work there. Didn't we all? And then when she was at Holiday Club, yeah. I was doing a dirty uh, puppet show called The <laughs> Fuck It Show. What? And it was, oh, I'm going to find you some videos for that. Yeah, Please it was do. like Dirty Muppets, um, <laughs> actually with my friend who is in Puerto Vallarta performing right now, and Miss Amy Armstrong. Oh uh, but gosh. Amy Armstrong, Lloyd Young, myself, uh, let's see, Stephen Ferry, so many guys, Joey Stone. We had a blast, and it was just ridiculous <laughs> sketches with puppets. Puppets. Um, but so I, I saw her incredible. again there. And then I walked in here one day and I'm like, shut the front door. <laughs> it's Mary Mac. So what would your favorite karaoke tune be to do? Oh. Yeah, that's where this goes because uh, I got mine, but I want to know what yo's is. Well, I don't do karaoke because I cannot sing. Fair it's enough. painful. Uh, can I say I appreciate you knowing that um, relative to the world who doesn't I am know saving that they the can't world sing? by not singing karaoke. Yeah. All right. Cool. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, but it would definitely be uh, a Def Leppard song. I'm thinking maybe... I mean, Pour Some Sugar on Me is just way too obvious. Yeah. Oh, I was hoping you'd go a little older than that. Maybe Animal. Okay. That's one of my favorites. One of my first cassette tapes ever that I basically just jank, like gacked from my brother's collection. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I grabbed three cassettes. It was Beastie Boys License to Ill, um, In Excess Kick, and yes. Def Leppard Pyromania. Awesome. And the three of those cassettes got played so many times that they finally started warping. And, yeah, yeah. You know, to those of you chillins who just know MP3 <laughs> World, you just don't know the difference. But it was great. So the, the, That is a solid collection. Love let me tell you. it. Yeah. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. What is in Renee's personal playlist? Oh, well, my favorite band is a band called Failure. Okay. Uh, from the 90s. What kind of music? It's hard to describe. It's it's rock, just sort of, you know, right. like straight up rock, uh, spacey. Okay. Um, sort of like lots of uh, synthy sounds and whatnot. I'm going to have um, to jump in on them. You should. Uh, listen to Fantastic Planet all the way through. Is that through. one of their albums or a song? Yes, it's one of their albums. Okay. Um, it is my favorite record of all time. All right. Yeah. So can I share with you mine, which I've Please. been totally obsessed with lately. And a friend of mine whose brother actually introduced me to this band reached out and was like, I've been listening to this band recently. And then when oh. I interviewed my buddy, the DJ Elroy, who was my first episode okay. and also making my music, I said, dude, you got to hear this band. They're so much fun. Yes. And I said their name and his eyes lit up and he's like, <laughs> it's one of my favorite bands too. It's a band called the Jellyfish. And they were oh, around yeah. in the 90s. Oh, and I very just, familiar. A lot of people aren't. Like, they really didn't have many pop hits. But yeah, Jellyfish yeah. Spilt Milk is, like, to be honest, one of the most delightful ear candies you will ever have in your entire life. Absolutely. It's it's brilliant. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. That would be my contribution to this. Okay. And then uh, bikes, public transportation, or cars to get to and from? Or is it a combination of all three it's in this a city? It's a combination. Okay. Mostly the car and we like to bike, but we're not uh, we're not inclement weather bikers per se. No, so. fair enough. Don't want to get but too But we bike as on. much as we can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We don't bike in the winter. We're wimps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we love biking and that is our preferred mode of transportation yes for sure and we have matching bikes which is really Aww, dorky no, super fun. <laughs> we actually have two tandems um not that yes, one person or one couple needs two tandems that. but we have a nice 
like a fancy legit road bike tandem but then we have our fun beach cruiser tandem so someday if you guys want to hop on that bad boy you can you can borrow the beach cruiser and take a stroll around the neighborhood you know on all those days you're not working at the bar and restaurant yeah maybe that'll be your anniversary gift oh that would be so much fun (laughs) what can you tell me the podcast there are billions of people doing millions of things on this planet i want to learn about all of it For more info, go to www.whatcanyoutellme.com. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do me a huge favor that'll only take a moment of your time and won't cost you anything. Share it with your friends. A quick message on social media or just mentioning in a conversation would be great. Also, leave me a review on iTunes. Thanks. And follow me on social media. You can find all the links in the show description below.